Welcome to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin, and my guest is one of Chapel Hill and Hillsboroughs and North Carolina and the world's favorite authors, Jill McCorkle. Jill, welcome. Thank you, D.G. It's great to be here. Well, Jill, I think most or many of your friends know about your new book, latest book. You're traveling around the country promoting it, Old Crimes and Other Stories. Tell us a little bit about this new book. Oh, I had several stories that had already been published, um, but then they were just off to the side while I was working on my last novel. And as always happens when I'm working on a novel, I continue to get ideas for short stories that I just put off to the side and hold until I finish the novel. And in in this case, um, those story ideas really we're starting to feel more and more connected. Um, the epigraph is is from an Arthur Miller play, and it's, you know, maybe the all one can do is hope to have the right regrets. And um, all of these, I may have just misquoted. Uh, well, I just, need, <laughs> no, no. But um, anyway, you get the gist of it. And and what these characters have in common is that they all have something in life that uh, that they're reflecting on. You know, a a regret of some sort. Some are confessing, some are denying, some are just coming to a place of recognition um, and dealing with these moments in life. How are these stories organized? Are they organized by? Um Time by subject by or do you just throw them out there and let them speak no, for themselves? No, no, and in fact, a lot of time goes into um, the order, and and um, a lot of time spent with my editor because there are characters loosely connected characters who reappear, and so it was important to me that um, the timeline was right. For that to happen, there. Uh, this is one of the questions that I had, and, and I have to confess that I didn't catch on to this immediately. But that you have character, at least characters' names, and you have uh, other threads, other than people, that mm-hmm. run through your stories. And I've never seen a, a group of short stories organized this way with threads moving through the stories mm-hmm. so that while it's not a novel, there are kind of little connective points. So are you, is this your trademark? Well, it's something that intrigues me because I'm, I'm really interested in those composite pieces or, or attempting to suggest a whole community and the different ways people might inhabit the same space and uh, without even knowing others or or the ways that a life might be affected by another person just for a brief little period of time. Um, There's an example in the book of um, the husband in the story, Low Tones, and from his wife's point of view, we, we know that he really has not been a nice husband at all, and a very difficult uh, father. And and yet in a later story, we recognize him 
in a cameo appearance where he was the shop teacher who made a huge and lasting impression on this young man who owns his own construction business. So, you know, he managed this man who really was not a nice human at all with his family, managed to impart something. He did that, although he positive to this other young was he man. The same, he was the same guy. He certainly had the same name. Yeah. And he did have some connections, and you've got um, electricians that you that yeah that you bring back and forth. Um, I, it, it was new to me, and honestly, Jill, I was uh, a long way through the book before I realized what you were doing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you didn't tell me. Uh, you didn't I didn't tell, tell me, you, didn't no. Tell me. <laughs> a reader and a reader would expect that uh, the short stories are um, either obviously entwined or successors to the, mm-hmm. each other. In, in your case, you just left little, I would say, tidbits. Of I the, did. Of, I didn't want them directly connected. Um, you know, and I really wanted the stories to stand independently. They don't need the other stories to be read. And yet, if you do read the book, and if you read the book in order... I think you're more likely, more likely to, to see. It. Well, let's let's come back to this maybe, but let's talk about a few specific stories, and um, particularly your first story, which does it has some characters in it, and also you you got. Um, well, tell us where how is this uh, story? Where is this story? And this is the title of the book. The stories, the old the, crimes. Old crimes. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this story. Um, this young woman is is at a, you know, this sort of family inn. I put that in quotation marks, in New Hampshire, uh, for a little weekend getaway with a college boyfriend, and this is someone you know who hasn't really decided where she's going or what she's doing in life. Um, I think you get the sense that she's grown up in a in a really strict, for, forbidding, judgmental kind of background, and now she's you know sort of on the threshold. She's off on the weekend with her boyfriend. Of, of if she can just graduate from college, you know, she has this idea. She can. She's been told by a guidance counselor, you know, you can go anywhere, do anything. Um, but she hasn't figured out what that is. But but she's locating what interests and fascinates her. And so one course that she has taken is one in archaeology. So she's really taken by the bog bodies, which <laughs> well, I am as well. <laughs> tell us about the bog bodies. Um, you know, these these bodies that are that are perfectly preserved thousands of years after the fact, you know. So these bodies get discovered, and people think it's a recent murder, and it's, it's something very old. And, and so she's just thinking a lot about how um, all that we can't fully know about a crime that's been committed, if we ever know at all. Well, uh, well 
tell us, we'll come back to this, tell us about her companion, her boyfriend. Well, he's, you know, upwardly mobile, driven. Um, you know, you, you can't, uh, it's hard to imagine this couple might last forever. They could, but um, it, it, it feels like a real transition point, I think. And, and then this little girl. Um, oh, who's tell in, us about the little girl. A little girl who's in foster care um, with the owner of this, this inn or whatever it's called, um, shows up. And the, and then the story really takes a turn um, with a focus on this kid who clearly has been dealt a pretty bad hand. Well, how does she enter into the story? She, she, she physically just walks into their room, you know, and puts her dirty feet on their bed and asks if she can eat the candy beside the bed and um, rummages the suitcase. So she's... Um, she's kind of a little menace invader, you know, to the um, moment. They snuggle up to the man and the woman, the young man and the young woman, snuggle up to each other and get ready to make love. And then this dirty little girl comes into the room. (laughs) And was she a part of the, what, was she another hotel guest or was she? well, no, she's the she's being she's the foster child of the woman, you know, who runs the place. Now, d- describe how tell tell me a little bit about the place. Is this a uh, it, it, it might have been ye old, but it was not exactly an antique. Oh yeah, it's just it's just really run down and junky. You know, it's one of these places that advertises waterfront, and you have to walk. A half a mile to see this sort of scummy pond, you know, with the woods. Um, everything's been cut down and, you know, the trees marked with yellow tape. So it looks like a crime scene. Some of your stories that I hope we'll have time to talk about are the disappointments uh, about people who are disappointed with where they are in life. Mm-hmm. But this couple seems to be different in a way and that they are at the beginning point and that mm-hmm. they are op- generally optimistic about it. Mm-hmm. it is, is, um, are they going to turn out to be the same way as these other people when they get old? Well, I mean, I don't want to give too much, uh, too much of the story away, but, but I think, um, you know, I was just thinking a lot about kids that are brought into the world Mm. and sometimes how easily and recklessly and then the choices people are left to make. And so on one hand, you have this young couple, you know, who just um, life is all up ahead. But when you learn the history of this little girl, you realize that already the lives affected including her own, what has landed her here. Um, I mean, she's, you know, a kid in that situation, to my mind, is the ultimate victim. I mean... So we don't have a lot of hope for her. She's been abandoned. Um, But we don't know. 
We don't know. You joined us late. I'm visiting with uh, Jill McCorkle. We're talking about her latest book, book of short stories called Old Crimes and Other Stories. Jill McCorkle and I will be right back. Welcome back to Who's Talking. If you joined us uh, a little bit late, I'm visiting with Jill McCorkle. Uh, I want to just say everybody's favorite author. Uh, Jill has a new book, and we're going to be talking some about that. It's called Old Crimes. And we've talked about the title story, uh, but there's much more in it. I mean, there are just so many more stories. Um, and, I mean, do you, it's not fair to ask you if you have a favorite. Uh, or is it? Um, well, it's, it's, you know, I have, I have different, different favorites for different reasons. Um, how about that? It's All hard right. to pick well, one. Th- well, the second story intrigued me. This is a story called The Lineman. Mm-hmm. And I, I, don't, I mean, I, my summary of the point of the book is, is basically, this is a guy who is really good about working with current electronics. I mean, he can get He's the guy you'd want in your house when the storm came. Mm-hmm. But, but there's a chance he's, um, he's not real interested in all of the Internet and the, all of the new sort of stuff that people would expect. And t- tell us about him. Yeah, well, he's, he's a guy who's sort of been, been left behind in many ways. He's, um, his wife has, you know— gone back to school and majored in communications and um, they're in the process of getting a divorce and they're just, you know, his his road, his work, where he is in life, it's like he's hit a dead end. And at one end, he has a 14-year-old daughter he's trying really hard to maintain a relationship with and on the other end he has a mother with dementia so the the story is a lot about communication it's a lot about what has changed in our own society with communication from you know he talks a lot about the history of the telephone you know so from where we went um, when Alexander Graham Bell said, you know, Watson, I need you, um, to cell phones, Internet. He, and, and so he has this ongoing rant throughout the story where he's talking about the history of it. But at the root is just a human really trying to maintain communication well, he's he's has a daughter and a yeah. wife, but the wife is has had enough. Well, yeah, she's 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 um, progressed. In fact, she's um, into the university. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, and he, he, you know, I, for me, growing up, that a electrician and a guy who can handle wires is pretty high up on the scale. Apparently, this guy. Is falling behind his wife in terms of what's doing now. How do you make a story out of that? Um, 
Well, it's a story, you know, the he makes reference to the actual song, I'm a Lineman for the yeah. County, which was inspiring. And, you know, the songwriter Jimmy Webb talked about how the idea for that song came when he saw this guy like out in Kansas or somewhere, I forget what state, is in the story, um, way up a telephone pole um, and said it, it's the picture of loneliness that that's how it struck him. And I think that's what my character is feeling right now. He's feeling very much out of touch, out of touch with society, um, where his wife is. He's out of touch with his teenage daughter, and he's out of touch with his mother or who he thinks to be his mother, who, who really is kind of lost in her own world. Well, he is really devoted to his his daughter. Yes, and, and he uh, you, you make it in su- the point about that in such a wonderful way because he had had a first marriage, mm-hmm. and looking back on it, he's really regretting that he that he's it, he's regretting that marriage didn't work out, and mm-hmm. that it, he had been a jerk in it, and. Uh, He's looking for some reason that it would be good. And he said, you know, without, it's really sad about all of that. But if I hadn't uh, done, gotten along and got my second marriage, and I've got Amanda. Right. And he's treasures. Mm-hmm. She's not really thinking he's a treasure. His daughter's. No, I but her. I like to think she will one day. One day. But, uh, um, there's an in- interconnectivity theme in this story that mm-hmm. the wires, that the lines join us all together, mm-hmm. keep us in touch with each other. And are you, is that something you're feeling strongly about? Yeah. I mean, I, I personally am, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm in there with everyone else, you know, with the cell phone and, and, um, having to check things on Facebook or, or whatnot. So, um, but I also really miss a kind of silence and detachment that I knew as a kid. I mean, I love that, you know, you, you would, you would make that one phone call home, you know, on Sunday afternoon in college you know, so many kids, you know, lined up at a phone if you didn't have one in your room. Everybody called home. And then that was sort of it for the week, you know, unless unless something happened. And um, I don't know. I, I, I sort of miss that, the kind of time without interruption. And I miss the anticipation of writing real letters, you know, and waiting for the response and actually having time to think and not being expected to answer something immediately. So I think he grew out of my own um, wish at times. You You know how great it is like on a holiday when the mail doesn't come, the phone doesn't ring. Um, and there's this kind of legitimate silence 
There's something really a nice welcome, about that. A welcome silence. So yes. you would like to have. I think we would all be healthier with a little more of it. <laughs> I think the fragmentation is probably not good for our brains. You end this chapter. Well, one thing that uh, Ricky is optimistic, maybe when he really shouldn't be because he's not ready to um, move forward with moving into the new world, but he thinks he's really going to be needed mm-hmm. when the uh, when, when the electronic connections are taken down. He, he'll be one who'll have a job getting them back up again. And I think that I think he will. You, um, <laughs> th- there are two quotes that you might remember, but uh, when Ricky's trying to come to terms with himself, he says, "Well, skill." Skill is the new money, and there's a lot to that for the rest of us, too, that we may not be wealthy, but we know how to do things. Mm -hmm. There's some of the things that make us. And uh, the other one quote that I wrote down to remember is um, in in the connectedness given to us by telephones and other similar things. He says, I know... We're still connected, but I can't, for the life of me, get an answer. Mm. It took you a long time to write, didn't it? Mm. That's, or at least, it's yeah. profound. Yeah, I knew that's where. When I got there, I knew it was the end. <laughs> if you join us late, uh, I'm visiting with our favorite author, Jill McCorkle. We're talking about her new book, Old Crimes, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin, and my guest is Jill McCorkle. We're talking a little bit with her about her new book and some of the uh, parts of the new book. This is a book of short stories. Uh, Jill, you've got 12 chapters, and we've talked about two of them. (laughs) Um, You mentioned uh, the the story of of, uh, low tones where you have a woman— who uh, can't 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 hear well? Um, but she's got a problem in her marriage, I guess, or she did have a problem in her marriage. Mm-hmm. She's getting slapped around a lot. What mm-hmm. what draws you to that kind of story where the man's? Well, what really drew me to that story was thinking about how many people possibly have a standing in society with a certain amount of respect only to go home and be this other person. So that they're two different people. Two different people. And and what I find, I mean, I think it's pretty scary when you discover something like that, you know, um, and it's not, to my mind, it's a very difficult equation. It's not as simple as they balance each other or cancel each other out. Uh, this person, you know, might do something good over here, but then they behave this way at home. And um, in my mind, 
you know, the the more negative really negates. I don't know. It's a it's a difficult it's a difficult equation. But I was thinking a lot about that type of of person, you know, and um, no human is either all good or all negative. And we're living in a time when everything is extreme, is the either or, you're this or you're that. And so I'm very interested in exploring what's not so simple because it's never that simple. People are very complicated. And, I mean, I'm not going to be the, the judge of Loris's husband who, yes, he might have inspired some young students, but he's been a very cruel husband and father. And so do I like him? No. Um, you know, and so I have to work very hard with that kind of character um, not to take the simplest route of just throwing him in the trash can. You know, I'm trying to understand Loris and why why she stays in this trapped place. And, and I'm trying to understand how difficult it would be to be in that situation in life. And I... I mean, sadly, I think a lot of people are in that situation in life, and so um, it's a worthy exploration. Well, but um, of course it's interesting, and it's probably more common than we think that that uh, some men who've grown up in earlier times feel like that's almost the way we should live, should be. I've got my friends and people that count on me and on the outside. At home, my wife had better do what I say, and um, I'm not going to let her do anything else. There's another um, side to this story, which uh, has to do with, uh, you call it low tones. Mm-hmm. It has to do with people who are hard of hearing. And how do you, how do you bring that into the story? Um, <clears throat> well, again, it... it um in a way, it, it's peaceful to her that she's not hearing him. In fact, she makes the joke when they tell her at her appointment, you know, that she's not hearing the low tones like engines and male voices, and she suggests that maybe it's evolution, um, that she's not hearing him. So so in one way, she's, um, she's escaping perhaps the the sound, um, the cruelty in a voice. Um, but it also, I think low tones also refers to what what is missed, what we don't know. Um, and there are suggestions that he was either involved, in some way, in some past incident. You know, there's that submerged truck in a pond. And we don't know. But I I know what I think. Um, I kept thinking he was going to drive up out of the water and we were going to see that truck. I know. I know what I think. Um, 
but I just think I just think her husband had involvements um, that she would have found really mm-hmm. distasteful. Well, a part of that um, of this story is said in the doctor's or, or the technician's office where she's getting her hearing. Mm-hmm. And who does she run into? What 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 are you? Yeah, she ru- she there? runs into a woman. Um, there are belts all through these stories, belts, and and her eye is caught by a woman in the waiting room, and she's thinking, "Oh, I haven't seen one of those chain belts since the seventies, you know." And um, only to realize in the same moment, it's not a chain belt; it's a woman in chains, you know, there with armed guards. So they're prisoners who have come to get. Yes. Get treated for yes. their hearing problems. Yes. But they are um they're cut from a different <laughs> So she's she's <clears throat> intrigued, you know, what did this woman do um to be there? And uh so I mean there's a I had fun writing the conversation between the two. I mean, Loris is is curious enough to ask her what she did. And, you know, the woman tells her. Well, this, I, I don't want to go into too much, but you're the one who wrote this story, so I blame you. Mm-hmm. Um, one of, you mentioned the belt. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you, you know, you got the belt running all the way through the story, and why didn't you call it the belt? <laughs> well, but, but I didn't catch it the first uh, time around. I, I'm sure that your more intelligent readers picked up on that immediately, but I'm always sudden later in the book saying, gosh, we've been reading about belts all the way through. Well, in, in the opening story, the, the young woman who's taken the archaeology class is also t- taking a writing class and has to come up with a, a sentence um, with a person in a room with an object and, you know, then going through the many stories that might evolve from that. And so the sentence she comes up with is in a room behind a door, a man takes off his belt. And the prompt itself is a little ominous, though it doesn't have to be. I mean, the lineman is not a scary guy. You know, he, he's got a tool belt, though. Um, he's not someone who would whip his daughter with a belt. But there are other people who would. And and so I was just playing with, you know, the different variations that could evolve from those three, you know, well, here, the room, uh, the man, the belt. I, it's very interesting, but you didn't prepare me for this. For the, <laughs> I mean, I... I, I it, and I'm not the, I'm most, sorry, deser- I'm not the most deserving <laughs> reader, but but at some point I said, "Darn, there are a lot of belts in but these stories." See, and they're, well, they're, you you got it then. You got it. it you didn't have to know it from the very beginning. Different kinds of belts, different purposes. Some you know for beating children, and um, or that that's. Them. Or but, the Bible Belt. I mean, there's the, oh, just I a didn't even lot catch of belts. <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah belt. there are all kinds of belts. When, well, can we stop for just a second? I, and, mm-hmm. and how do you address challenges like that? Do you, you start out with your book of stories and say, 
Dern. I'm going to get the belt and follow the story. <laughs> no, I did not say Dern. I'm going to get the belt. <laughs> I might have said just, another word, and what am I going to do to put them all together? But um, um, well, no, you, you, it it evolves. It evolves. You know, the the story established that, and then I realized that there were belts other places. Um, when I was reading back through, and, you know, the belt is an object that's very easy to, in a subtle way, weave in where it wasn't before. And I started to think of these belts almost like a snake, you know. Some are harmless and some are not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some are ready to strike and some are not. And so I, I just had in mind that I would just place enough belts here and there, um, and see what happened. Well, what happened were several good stories that uh, eventually I <laughs> said, got their belts all over the place. But uh, if you join us late, I'm visiting with Jill McCorkle, and we're talking about her latest book, The, or not The, Old Crimes, which is also the title of her first story in the book. Jill, uh, you know, we're quickly running out of time and I'm just getting started. Can we take a quick break and <laughs> sure. we'll be right back. Sure. Welcome back to Who's Talking. I'm visiting with Jill McCorkle and we've just gotten started, but we got to finish up pretty quickly because <laughs> I've uh, exploited her and talked about some of the some of the interesting parts of her book, but not nearly all of them. Uh, <clears throat> so, Jill, uh, can I get you to let's just pick out one book or one ch- chapter or one story? And and um, this is not the most profound story in the book, but it's an interesting one, and it's called The, the Confessional. Mm-hmm. I bet you had real fun with this one. I had you? a lot of fun with T- this Tell one. us about it. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea is just this young couple who see an old confessional in an antique store. What's a confessional? Like a booth. A, a conf- booth where you say, yes. talk to, if you're a Catholic, you where talk Where you to would them. go and confess. So what do they want with that piece of furniture? Well, they just think it would be a neat thing to have. And, of course, you know, it becomes sort of an object for fun and games um, when friends come over. So um, these are a bunch of younger adults, yes. and they think that's confessing is funny, kind of. Yeah. You can, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll confess. Yes, they're making jokes. I mean, it's kind of like a truth or dare version. and um, But obviously it, it, it doesn't go in a very good direction. They learn things about each other that they might be better off not knowing. Not knowing. Can you will you tell us that to entice us to read the whole book? What 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 would be one of the things they confessed to that they didn't really do? <laughs> well, um, I mean, you learned that she she put pins pinholes in her brother's condoms oh. with the hope that he would get this one girl pregnant because she really liked her and wanted to be related to her. And she confesses this. So she confesses this. He confesses to pretending to be blind and sitting out with a 
tin cup to get money. <laughs> and it just goes downhill from there. Where did this idea come from for this story? Um I don't I I don't know, but it was a lot it was a lot of fun. It was a, it was definitely a lot of fun. I always tell my students, you know, that if you know what stands to really ruin a character's life, I mean, what will wound that person more than anything else? And if you know that and you know what that person treasures above all else, then you've got all you need to know, you, you know, good- or you um, what is that person's secret? And the secret might be as simple as some kind of far-flung fantasy wish that other people might laugh at that person about, but that's the kind of secret someone would hold very close. And then I can only imagine there are many dark secrets of things people really would never want known. Mm. And I think in this confessional, they're telling things that I I would I I would have suggested they keep in that other category. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we're just about out of time. I want to mention one of the. We don't have time to talk about it, but one of the stories that just grabbed me was a story you call Filling Station, and the story of uh, of um, a, a, a man. Oh, not quite as old as I am, but a mature man married successfully, it seems. Uh, but he can't get out. He, he, it, things are not really all that good for him. And he remembers that the, there's this uh, building that used to be his grandparents' house. Mm-hmm. It's now a store. And it, I can understand this. I mean, it's... It, it, he, he's drawn to that mm-hmm. that building, and he finds out he can rent a room up at the top. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of moves out of his house and moves into this room. And a part of him is very happy about this. Mm-hmm. Where'd you? I mean, this. How did this come to you? Well, you know that story that I have had that character for over twenty years, and I just never could find a story. I knew, I knew his intrigue of this building and that it represented his past in some way. And um, he's the one, the student of Loris's husband. So in a way, it took connecting him to this other world. And as soon as I recognized that piece of it, it it sort of all, all of his story came forward. Um, but he has one sentence in there where he's where he realizes that his attraction to that building and the way he can still sort of smell that building and the way it was when his grandparents were there is it was in his words the place where he really felt loved mm. And I was thinking a lot of, I love that Elizabeth Bishop poem called The Filling Station. And I've always been attracted to those dark little rooms up above, you know, a busy spot. And you see somebody has put up curtains or there's a life up there. 
And and Elizabeth Bishop does that in a poem about an SO station, you know, and and there's a doily on this grease stained chair and the cat. And the last line of that poem is somebody loves us all. Mm. And um and so that line was running through my head. So it's for him, he's seeking a place where he felt loved in life. And I, I really think that too is a common thread that these people are um, many of them are finding a place of comfort in a very uncomfortable world. Jill, thanks for sharing these uncomfortable moments with us. <laughs> I'm sorry I made you uncomfortable. No, no, I, I, I'm uncomfortable with your character and, <laughs> and, uh, and learning about uh, how I feel about mm. some things. A beautiful book, and um, the only unbeautiful thing about it is that we weren't able to talk about more of those stories. Maybe we'll come <laughs> well, back sometime soon. And yes. We'll talk about a few more. In the meantime, uh, thanks to Jill McCorkle. Thanks for writing this book, Old Crimes, and thanks for taking time to talk. Thank you, it. DG. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. And thanks to you, for, thanks to you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back here soon to introduce you to another one of our community's great people. See you then.